0: Jake Mangum has just broken the Southeastern Conference career hits record. There's a drive! I think he did it! It's way back! Big hand Mac just did it again! Elijah magnamy with a magic moment here at the ballpark. Struck him out swinging and the dogs will head back to the College World Series.
1: This episode of Dog Pile Podcast features a guest who's been to the top of the baseball world, Jay Powell, drafted in the first round out of Mississippi State in 1993 by the Orioles. He made his debut in the majors with the Florida Marlins in 95. And in just his third season in the big leagues, Jay was the winning pitcher in Game 7 of the World Series. While I had Jay, I selfishly had to ask him, about facing one of my favorite players growing up, Tony Gwynn.
0: My quick Tony Gwynn story was in '97. He swung and missed like 22 times all year, something crazy. <laughs> Two of them were off me.
1: Now the moment he's talking about here was from a game played in Miami in April of '97. The Marlins were off to 13 and nine start. The Padres, pretty much the opposite. They were nine and 12. This game was not a pitcher's duel. Four to nothing, Marlins in the first. Six four, Padres in the fourth. 10-7 Marlins in the bottom of the sixth. Then Jay Powell came into the game top of the seventh, and the first batter that he faced was Ricky Henderson. He struck him out looking on four pitches. Then he got Quilvio Veras to ground a short for the second out of the inning. Then here comes San Diego's three-hole hitter with two outs, Tony Gwynn.
0: a slider down and in, strike one, swing and miss. Slider down and in, strike two, swing and miss. I was like, I can't get this guy out. So... I'm going to throw it again.
1: So with two strikes, Jay wasted a pitch. It's one and two. Of course, Gwen didn't chase it. So Jay went back to the well.
0: Maybe he's just not seeing today. Same pitch, he hits a missile to right center. (laughs) And I mean, I'm like, did did he just set me up for it? I mean, what is he doing? But he um, he he was special, man. He really was.
1: The Marlins kicked it around a little bit after that single by Gwen. A couple of runs later, scored before Jay got out of it. He pitched a clean eighth, though, and the Marlins got their 14th win of the year, 12-9 over Gwen's Padres. Jay, the former Bulldog, he's here to talk Hale State baseball, so make no mistake about that. I just thought you'd really enjoy that story. This podcast is presented by Mississippi Land Bank. Land Bank. Visit them online at mslandbank.com. They understand the lay of the land. And if you're in farming, they understand what you're going through and want to help you. So check out their Branch offices throughout North Mississippi Find them online at mslandbank.com Here's my interview with Jay Powell Former Bulldog great Major leaguer and World Series champion Jay You know, it's an overused um, Cliche, isn't it? But heck, we're experiencing some of this Quote-unquote baseball weather right now, aren't we? <laughs> no
0: doubt We play baseball in the winter and she's like we play football in the summertime <laughs>
1: Yeah, we we need to put our heads together and figure this thing out. All I know is that yeah, state fans are chomping at the bit to get this one started, and it's going to look a little different in the lineup and on the mound this year, isn't it?
0: It is, and um, you know they've got the guys obviously returning. Um, you know, offensively, there's a there's a big chunk of that lineup that that's coming back. You know, obviously losing Jake and uh, Elijah was was big, but you know uh, that's. that's offensively, they've got a good many pieces coming back, and it's, it's going to be a little different.
1: Yeah. So if you look at offensively replacing Jake Mangum, I mean, everybody in the world has talked about it, and, and there's no question that's what you have to do is figure out a way to replace some of that production. But through your eyes, Jay, what do you? how big of a challenge is that, and what are State's chances of finding that production somewhere else?
0: Well, you know, I, I think honestly, you know, obviously Jake was one of the most productive players in, in Mississippi State history and and the SEC. Um, you know, I'm just shooting kind of from the hip, but you know, you think maybe they they bumped Rowdy up to lead off and. uh you know, they've got some guys if, if, you know, they bump Tanner into the outfield and maybe put Josh Hatcher at first. So I think offensively they're going, they're going to be okay. I, I don't, you know, obviously they're not going to replace a guy that gets kind of hits and runs scored and all that that Jake did. But I think they can, you know, b- between the rest of the guys, I think offensively they're going to be all right. Um, you know, I think the thing that's going to really be the telltale with losing Jake is the leadership part of it. I mean, somebody, uh, that kid's been the heart and soul of this, this program basically for the last three years. And someone's going to have to step up and, and kind of take ownership of that, of that spot. And to me, you know, replacing him production wise is, is going to be huge, but, that I think it's going to be a bigger issue replacing him. You know, because he was a guy. You know, you could see that he was a the guy they all turned to. He was a guy that when you needed a big hit, he was a guy coming up. I mean, um, that part of it to me is going to be that's, that that part of it's going to be tough to replace.
1: Did you ever go through something like that as a player in your career, Jay? Where there was this this someone who was kind of the leader, the man in the clubhouse who you had to then learn how to, you know, play without him? Did you ever go through anything like that?
0: Not, I mean, you know, you get into professional baseball and, you know, when you're winning, it seems like, the, you know, winning breeds good chemistry for some reason. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, it's a little different in pro ball. Um, and, you know, I think college athletics, leadership and, and that kind of stuff is, is more important, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. But I never – I don't think I've ever gone through a situation like that where you lose kind of the guy that's been the guy for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I personally have never gone through anything like that.
1: Gotcha. Um, you mentioned Rowdy. You know, I was talking to Chris, I guess it was last week, and had him on the podcast, and, and he said, yeah, we're going to try that out. Rowdy's going to bat lead off, and he's moving over to center field. And some people have <laughs> – wondered you, you've you you can look through it uh from from any perspective as a player at any level and now as a coach people have wondered if changing positions in the field like that doubles up on the challenge of also moving into the leadoff role at the plate does that make any sense do you see that
0: yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, you could, yeah, you could make an argument for that. Um, <clears throat> I think Rowdy really kind of, you know, the one thing Rowdy's going to have to do, and and look, Jake Mangum, I, I made the comment a few times with on, he's never seen a pitch he didn't think he could hit. Right. I mean, he was swinging. Um, the the thing that Jake did though was he hit a lot of them. You know, he <laughs> made contact or he found them all. Rowdy, I think, going to have to look at at being more selective at the plate. He's going to have to. You know, he's going to have to cut down swing and misses. And I think defensively he's going to be fine. <clears throat> you know, the thing at Mississippi State is it's a pretty big ballpark. And it's, it's changed a little bit with the new stadium dynamic. But you've got to have a good defensive center fielder. And I think Rowdy's going to be fine defensively. Um, I think the real challenge for him is going to be being a little more selective at the plate and <clears throat> cutting down on some of the swing and misses and some of the strikeouts. And I think once he can kind of get a hold of that, um, I think he's going. I think he's going to have a good year. I mean, I think he's going to do fine at leadoff, and I think going to center field. I think he's going to be able to handle that well too.
1: You know, I was talking with Ross Mitchell uh, about this, and we we kind of did the same thing as we, we talked about Jake, and we talked about replacing him in the lineup. And we talked about you know replacing the leadership, and then we get down into the conversation. and We go, yeah, but you know, it was. Ethan Small, who's a first rounder. Why don't we start off with having to replace Ethan? I mean, Ethan Small. Because is it because there's a former first rounder supposed to step in that role that we don't talk about it enough, really?
0: I think you're exactly right. And you know, when when to me, you know, there, there's some pretty high expectations for this ball club, and, and, and rightfully so. I'm a coach, though, so, so yeah. I always look at what, what could go wrong. You know, what do we need to make sure we take care of? What do we need to watch for? And to me, the thing on this club that I look at right now and I say, okay, where could a potential problem pop up? One is you, you've you got to replace a ton of guys in that bullpen. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, can JT stay strong and can JT finish the season? Because we've seen with Ethan, we've seen with, um, uh, you know, all these guys the last few years that are number ones, how important that that first guy is. I mean, to go out there and to have a true number one, a dominant stopper that can come in and, you know, get you a release, you know, you're going to have a really good shot of winning the game. Mm-hmm. How important that is. Can JT step up and do that? And if he can, I think everything else will kind of fall into place. Now, from a talent standpoint, there's no question. I mean, that kid's as talented as anybody we've ever had up there on the mound, but you know, it's a long season and, you know, he hit a wall last year and hopefully this year he's a little stronger, a little more mature and kind of understands his body a little more and can step into that role. But I I think you're right because the, the people that have seen JT pitch know how good he can be. And if he's at his best, I mean, Ethan Small had one of the most dominant career or seasons I've ever seen a kid have in college, Mm -hmm. but I think JT can step in a really, really, really good number one and another first round pick, but he's just going to have to finish this thing out.
1: All right, let's take a break and we'll be right back with part two of our interview with Jay Powell coming up.
0: Every farmer understands their farm can't thrive without some good partners like sun, soil and rain. And farmers in North Mississippi also rely on another important partner, Mississippi Land Bank, because land and farm financing are Mississippi Land Bank's primary focus. We've grown alongside these farmers' crops for more than 100 years. We understand what a farmer needs, and we know the lay of the land in North Mississippi. And that's where I stand.
1: Thanks to the fine folks at Mississippi Land Bank for supporting Dogpile the Podcasts. Let them know you heard about them here. Find them on Twitter at MS Here's part two of our interview with Jay Powell. You, you played the position. You, you know, you're pitched in the majors, World Series champ, pitched in college, a first round draft pick. You've been to all these places. He's wanting to go. All right. So you saw JT last year. You just said he's one of the most talented they've ever had on the mound there. What does he have to do from what we saw from him last year to this year if he wants to make all those things happen for himself this year?
0: I think the thing JT's got to do from my standpoint is just – I mean, the main thing is is stay healthy. And, Mm. look, he's in a position that – I mean, that's tough, man, to to turn down that kind of money. And the first thing you think about when you get on campus is – I gosh, I hope I don't get hurt. And look, that's human nature. That's, yeah. that, there's nothing wrong with that. And Scott Foxhall and all those guys have done a tremendous job of making sure he leaves there healthy. But I think JT, the thing he's going to have to learn, I think, is learn his body, learn, you know, when to pitch through certain things and when not to. And that's part of maturing as a pitcher. Stuff's great. Um, change up is good. You know, he's got an unbelievable breaking ball. Um, you know, when I saw him out of high school, I thought this guy's going to be a closer. You know, he's going to be a one or two inning guy. come in and cut it loose. Because I didn't see a dominant kind of – I just didn't see that part of him as a starter. After watching him last year – I think that's changed, in my mind, it's changing the pro ball guy's mind and the fact that this guy could be a starter in the the major leagues. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's got three quality pitches, but I think the main thing is going to be for JT to continue improving and to learn his body, learn how to pitch through certain things, learn how to make sure you're going to be ready for that next start. And once he figures that out, I mean, it's it's limitless as far as where he can go.
1: Jay, um, you... um... We were there for the unveiling and, and, you know, the full unveiling of Duty Noble Field, uh, Polk Dement Stadium last year, and saw those atmospheres and that kind of stuff. And it, it's a bit of a loaded question because we kind of know the answer. I just want to hear your description of this. How do you describe the difference in the place and the atmosphere now versus when you were on the mound at Duty Noble in the uh, mid 90s?
0: It's, I mean, look we had some some crowds of 15,000 i mean you know when super bowl all weekend. we had some great crowds um, and some loud the fans have always been great that that's no question i think the difference now is it's you, you feel i guess cause the scoreboard the left field loss it kind of feels enclosed hmm. and it's louder it's it's just something about it it's a more and and I don't know if I could inviting environment, mm. and it, they have. I mean, they they have improved to me the game day experience a hundred percent. It is absolutely incredible, and just the the kind of it's. it's it, I always hear people they always talk about Wrigley Field. It's, it's cozy. Mm. It's kind of like Duty Noble now. It's kind you kind of feel cozy. You know, you feel like you're just kind of right on top of it, and you know, it's enclosed a little bit and it is It's. I told somebody this I said when the bottom of the eighth inning we were playing Stanford in Super Regional and Mangum come up played his song and then Elijah comes up hits a home run I said I I was on the mound in game seven of a World Series and I said that was probably one of my maybe my coolest baseball moments I've ever been a part of Mm -hmm. I said it was absolutely incredible to see the way the fans reacted to it and all that—it's just a different atmosphere. <clears throat> and what you know, the the school and what John and all of them have done now—it it just creates a better. It does. It creates a better atmosphere to watch baseball.
1: You uh, mentioned that moment with Elijah. You know, one thing that stood out to me um, was the immediacy. Of the entire fan base in the stadium reacting to when he made contact. You know, Jay, because like I think if we were to dissect it, a lot of times, you know, a ball gets hit hard and fans kind of stand up and there's this, you know, whoa. And then there's this crescendo when they realize the ball's over the wall. But when Elijah, if you go back and watch the TV or listen to y'all on the radio, our fan base was sitting there and the moment he made contact before the ball ain't even close to leaving the yard yet the moment he made contact everybody in that stadium went crazy and knew it was gone and that's rare you know Yep Yeah
0: It really was I mean it was it was like they were they, they got so used to him doing these special <laughs> things in these big moments they're expecting it almost, and uh, that killed something, man. I, I'm glad I got to know him because he is a special kid, a special human being, and and to see the thing that was so cool to me is when he ran back out to right field. I mean, they just embraced him. You know, I mean, that was cool, and and you know. I'll never forget about three years ago, we were up there, and it was when uh, Rooker and Jake was doing their thing, and Rooker had won the Triple Crown, and and I think maybe Super Bowl all weekend. I had my daughter, and she was 11th grader then. And she was you know, figuring out Alabama, Mississippi State, that kind of stuff. So Rooker hits like – that was a game he hit like three or four home runs, <laughs> in, and the place was going crazy. And I looked over at her. I said, I'm going to tell you this. You ain't gonna get this at any other place in this conference, but here. And she looked at me and she said, "I know." And and she told me the other day, said, "That's a big reason why." And she said, "I just I realized at the end that that's it's a special place." And you know, and that's like the it's just the the, the valve and the relationship the fans have with these players, and it's it's something special.
1: Yeah, it's very very unique. Well, um, I'll, I'll wrap it up with you. You mentioned the 97 World Series. I'm just curious, Jay, in everyday life, because you're in a baseball world, you're around baseball players, they can all Google everything about that game, and that series. How often do you have to answer questions about the 97 World Series and, and being the winning pitcher in Game 7?
0: Probably, honestly, probably probably once a day <laughs> um i mean and and you know that and that look that's great man because i'm getting older
1: yeah. and
0: you know more people know me as a coach that used to coach at jackson academy they now coaches at jackson prep and you know they, they know me now from that and doing some of the stuff with state and more so than you know me as a player i mean mm. and uh but it's it's almost daily i would say and and that's great man i love you know I love Asked me about it and, um, you know, because it was something special. And I, I realized that after the game, you know, I said, this is, this, it's just different, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's, and, and by no means am I in this, this realm of a player, but, you know, somebody was talking about the other day about Eli Manning and they said, well, he's a 500 quarterback. Yeah, but he's won a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. And it's kind of like same thing with baseball players. You know, I, I, I mean, y- your career, If you win a World Series, it it like it just catapults your career. And to be able to do that and be able to put in that position was, you know, something I'll forever be grateful for.
1: Um, At the end of it all, team accomplishments, the older you get, the farther you go, team accomplishments mean more than the individual stuff, doesn't it?
0: Hey, no question. No question. And, you know, there's so many great players that never got to play in a World Series, never got to win a World Series. And they'll tell you that. You know, they'll trade RP, they'll trade everything for a chance to win a World Series. And that's why you see a lot of these guys in their career, you know, they go, they call them, you know, ring chasers. They go and try to get on the team that's going to have a chance to win a World Series or a, a, a football championship or an NBA championship. And it's just something about it when a group of, in Pro Bowl, a group of men, you know, can somewhat put, put away differences back, whatever, and come together and, and win a championship. It's, you know, it's, it's a, like, you know, man, I mean, it's a band of brothers and mm-hmm. it's, um, it's something special.
1: Yeah. Well, um, the next time we're out of time now, Jay, but the next time I have you, I'm going to ask you about the, the hitters you face in the major leagues, the toughest to get out and where one really my favorite player of all time, uh, Tony Gwynn, where he would stack on that list. Did you ever did you ever get to face Tony Gwynn? Yes,
0: yes. I faced him. I faced him a good bit. And um, that was, I mean, I think he's probably one of the best hitters to ever played the game. Mm. Um, yeah. My my quick, quick Tony Gwynn story was in 97, he swung and missed like 22 times all year, something crazy. <laughs> two of them were off me. I threw him a slider down and in, strike one, swing and miss, slider down and in, strike two, swing and miss. I was like, I can't get this guy out. So, i'm gonna throw it again who knows you know maybe he's not maybe he's just not seeing today same pitch he hits a missile to right center (laughs) and i mean i'm like did did he just set me up for it i mean what is he doing but he was um he was he was special man he really was
1: yeah really cool i've heard of pitchers setting up hitters but not too often the other way around you know
0: (laughs) it's they'll do it i mean the good hitters you know you'll You'll throw them a fastball, and they'll, you know, they'll be laid on it, and you know, it's a lot of them, not a lot, but some of them would do it intentionally because they will want to get that same pitch again. How about that? Um, but it's, he was, he was something special. He flipped me on the mound a few times with a couple of lines back up the middle, and um, mm-hmm. I mean, he was, he was something special.
1: Really cool, Jay. Um, uh, special get to talk to you, and it's really going to be special when we throw out first pitch at Duty Noble in less than a month. Thank you very much. Thank you, Matt. See you. All right. I really appreciate you tuning in to the Dogpile Podcast. I'm Matt Wyatt. And if you would, find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Radio Wyatt. I always enjoy hearing your feedback, especially if you have ideas or how we can make this better. Also, if you haven't already, do me a favor. Like and follow the Facebook page. It's just Facebook.com slash Radio Wyatt. There's new content there every day. Not just the radio show stream live every day, but new stuff that you may only get on Facebook. So give me a follow and a like over there. I really appreciate that. Again, thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next Dog Pile. Hail State.